Well, it's great to see everybody again. And uh, yeah, feel, feel very privileged and honored to be leading us in uh, the God's word this morning. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to grab it. We're going to be reading from Mark 10, starting in verse 17 to verse 31. It'll also be up on the screen. God's word reads, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good. No one is good except God alone. You know the commands. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions, and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are the first will be last, and the last first. This is God's word. Well, the time we have this morning, we're going to look at three things from this passage. First, what is eternal life? What does it mean that Jesus, uh, this man is asking about eternal life? And then what is it about wealth, money, and possessions that stop us or can stop us from inheriting eternal life? And then finally, how do we inherit eternal life? So what's eternal life? What is it about wealth, money, and possessions that can stop us from inheriting eternal life? And how do we inherit eternal life? So we're starting with what's eternal life? I think for most Christians today, when we think of eternal life, the thing that comes to mind is a picture of heaven. But for Jesus and his disciples and, and this young ruler, when they spoke of eternal life, what came to mind wasn't heaven, but actually a change in time. At that time, they divided the world into two periods or two ages, the present age and the age to come. Now, the present age represents life as it is now. There's some beauty in our life, but there's also a lot of brokenness. And the reigning ruler here is not God, but in their context, it would be Caesar and the adversary or Satan, as we saw a couple weeks ago. And it's a time of hope where we are waiting for God to fulfill all his promises for this age to come. And in that age, the age to come, it would be a time when prophecies would be fulfilled, when God would be ruling and reigning in the world, when all the wrongs would be made right and injustice would cease to exist. And Messiah was a person who would come and he would change this time from the present age to the age to come. We might think of it a lot like, like COVID, um, that there's only kind of two time frames in our world right now. There's before COVID, there's everything that happened then, and then after COVID, and everything has just changed, and it's a new reality, a new normal. 
And that's the same thing uh, that the Messiah would do. He would change the age from one to the other. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is making the claim that he is this king. He is this Messiah. And he's bringing this kingdom of God. And it's breaking through, through his life, death, and resurrection. And so he is the person through whom the ages change. He brings this new age. He brings eternal life, as the man asks in verse 17. Or as Jesus calls it, the kingdom of God in verse 23 to 25. Or we've seen him talking about that all throughout the gospel of Mark. And so this rich young ruler has likely heard that Jesus is bringing the kingdom and the rich young ruler wants in on it. And so he comes, he runs to Jesus, he kneels, and he respectfully asks Jesus a question. And it's the same pattern of action that we've actually seen other humbled characters doing to Jesus. If you think of uh, the man who had demons from that story, just after uh, the this, this, this storm, Jesus calming the storm, it's the same pattern and, and this rich young ruler comes and asks Jesus a question, how can I inherit eternal life? And his idea is thinking that I'm blessed in this current age. I'm blessed now. I have a lot of material possessions. How can I be blessed in the kingdom to come, in the next kingdom? So Jesus gives two sets of responses. Let's look at his second. Verse 21, Jesus said, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And so the rich young ruler wants to, uh, the thing that will help him get into the next age to inherit eternal life, Jesus says to sell everything you have here. But he's dismayed because he doesn't want to let go because he has many possessions. And so Jesus is teaching us that, that the wealth and possessions in this present age keep people from following Jesus into this new age and receiving eternal life. Now, before we start talking about this passage, I think we need to do a bit of ground clearing because many of us have baggage when it comes to money and the church, and, and rightly so. So I want to just mention two things really quickly. First, the focus of this passage isn't about giving more money to the church. If you take a look and you notice, Jesus asked the man to sell everything he has and give his money to the poor, not to the church. So this isn't a pledge drive for our church. This isn't about me getting a larger salary. I was going to make a joke about a white suit, and then I realized I wore a white shirt today. So it's, it's a part of a white suit. Um, but we're not going in that direction. And if you're wondering about tithing, we actually dealt with that in the Rule of Life series. And you can, if you don't remember, you can go uh, listen to that and look online about that. The passage that we talked about states that you should decide what you should give to the God's mission and ministry through the church. And then you should give generously and cheerfully. So this is about money, but it's not a direct plea to give more money to the church. Secondly, I just want to mention that our church family is actually extremely generous. 85% of the people that we surveyed at our AGMs said that they are practicing monthly financial giving. That's a very high amount. Our benevolence count is doing really, really well. And so I know many of us, too, from talking to you, support ministries and people outside of our church on top of what you give to our church. So please don't hear me uh, trying to say that this or trying to make you feel guilty at all in any way. There's not a, any desire to come down on us as if we're not giving and we need to give more to the church. All of us in leadership at the church have a massive heart of thankfulness and, and are so grateful for the generosity of our community. But despite the awkwardness of the topic, I think it's really important that we wrestle with what Jesus is saying for two reasons. The first is that Jesus seems to talk a lot about money. Our, the church in the West is, is uh, very obsessed with talking about sex, maybe similar to our culture, but Jesus actually talks about money 10 times more than he talks about sex. And even the passages that don't directly reference money often relate to money for Jesus. 
So we've looked at just a few in the last couple of weeks. So we, if you remember back to Mark 1, we talked about the call of the disciples, where he says, come follow me and I will make you into fishers of people. He's asking them to leave their boats, which is their livelihood. That is their jobs. That is where they earn their finances from. That's their inheritance. The parable of the soils that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that's not just a farming metaphor, but it's an economic metaphor. Those people were likely, many of them were farmers. That's how they earned their living. And so using seeds and growth and fruitfulness was not just about farming, but about finances. And it's very similar to how our money works today. It's, it's linked to everything in our world. So Jesus talks a lot about money. Also, in a series about learning to follow the king and receive the kingdom, Jesus is saying that our focus on our possessions and money right now actually stop us from receiving the kingdom and following him, being part of the kingdom of God. And so we need to talk about it. So what is it specifically about wealth, money, and possessions that can stop us from inheriting eternal life? We learned three things from this passage. Let's just go through them. The first is there's a tendency to be generic and not specific when it comes to our wealth. We have a tendency to be general or generic and not specific when it comes to our wealth. Let's look at, again at the passage. Jesus meets a lot of characters in the Gospel of Mark, and he has the same invitation to them. Come, repent, leave your ways, and follow me. And this is the first person that we've seen and the only person that Jesus asks to sell everything. So why is that? Why this man? Well, one of the reasons is because Jesus actually knows the inner workings of his heart and his mind, where his true allegiances lie. And at the moment where the young man feels challenged by Jesus, most challenged is when Jesus moves from general to specific. Watch what happens. Watch what Jesus does. It's actually very fascinating in the passage. So the young man asks Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts by saying, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear fault with this, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So Jesus is, is running through the 10 commandments here. It's, it's commandments five through nine. And he adds an extra one in, don't defraud, which isn't in the 10 commandments, but is all over um, the law of Israel. And is very important. If someone has a lot of money, Jesus is saying, you know, don't gain your money by defrauding others. But the invitation from Jesus is very generic here. It's just the Ten Commandments. And the response the man gives is also generic. He's teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. You know, it's been another week without murdering anyone. And, and it's, it's just a general answer to the question. But then in the second half of Jesus' response to him, he gets very specific. He, he continues to refer, um, to uh, give the rest of the Ten Commandments, but he does it in a very specific way. So when emphasizing commandments one and two, Jesus doesn't say, don't have other gods besides me and make other, don't make idols. Jesus asks him a very specific question. He says, if you want to show me that you don't have other gods, then worship me by selling all you have. Divest yourself of, and let go of all your possessions. Let's see if it's not a god to you. It's a very specific request into this man's life. When Jesus gives him command number three, which is don't take the name of the Lord in vain, Jesus doesn't do it in a, in a general way, but gives a very personal challenge. He says, don't misuse my name by associating with wealth in this present age, but come and follow me in the path of downward mobility and learn what it's like to bear the name of the suffering God, who although rich became poor. Come and be with me. Remember this invitation to follow. It's the same invitation to this man. And when he's talking about uh, command 10, instead of just saying, don't covet, Jesus says specifically, prove that you don't build your identity on anything by becoming downwardly mobile. See, it's when Jesus speaks the truth 
of the commands into the specifics of this man's life, that the rich young man is confronted with the challenge of following Jesus. It's not in the general, it's in the specific. And I think it's exactly the same for us when we're dealing with money and possessions. It's easy to hear a message like this about money and think the basis of the message or the take home was don't be too rich. I'm not too rich, so I don't have a problem, you know, but I am going to share this with my friend who just bought a Tesla. Or we just think, I'm not wealthy. I, I'm barely getting by. Like we're just squeaking by our family or myself. And so we deal with it in a general way. And, and we do this because we're responding to Jesus in generalities. But we, so we assume we don't have a problem with money and we assume that we don't, we're not rich. Pastor Tim Keller, who ministered in, in New York for many years, said that in all his years of pastoring, he had, he had people confess all sorts of different things to him. They would come in his office and tell him they were breaking the law, confess to infidelity and apostasy. But he said in all those years, he's never had anyone come into his office and say, oh, pastor, I just have this huge problem with greed. I'm too rich. So if wealth, possessions, and money are a roadblock to following Jesus, we can't rely on generalities because we'll always dance around them, just like this rich young man does with the first uh, response of Jesus to the Ten Commandments. We need to invite God and his people to speak specifically into this area of our lives because it takes personal knowledge to apply this to our lives, this teaching to our lives. So practically, what's one thing we can do to go from general to specific with our finances and faith. I think one of the things we can do is to open up our budgets to another friend or family and allow them to speak specifically into your finances, to share what you're doing with one another. And this is very anti our culture uh, because finances are a very private thing, both inside and outside of the church. But I think sharing this with each other is so key to allowing God's words about money to go from general to specific in our lives, when we open up our budget and open up our finances to other people. And another encouragement about this is to do it with someone who's different than you. Maybe someone who's older or younger, someone who's in a different life stage, someone who's in a different socioeconomic uh, bracket. Um, one time I was praying at the chapel with a few men. And in our time, we had times of confession where we talked about, um, we confessed all different things that, are, that were happening in our life. And one person there asked for prayer. And he said, you know, I, I want prayer. I have a problem with money. And we're all, you know, nodding along and we're thinking, oh, this person's probably blowing all their money. And they said, yeah, I have a problem with money. I'm giving too much away. And I remember a couple of us looked at each other that we were so surprised, but we were also convicted in that moment because for us, our problem swung the other way. We were too frugal. We were not giving enough away. And this person, because they were different and they were open about that, uh, actually challenged and convicted us. It went from general, a general conversation about confessing our, our issues around money to very specific. And so it's in difference and in community where we can open ourselves up to the specifics of the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives through others. So that's the first thing uh, we can learn about uh, wealth, money, and possessions. The second reason uh, that wealth, money, and possessions stop us from inheriting eternal life is that material blessings root our heart in the kingdoms of this world rather than the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus is talking about two ages, the ages, uh, the present age, the kingdom of this world, and the kingdom of heaven or the age to come. And Jesus is giving this man an either or, at least it looks that way, between treasure here and caring about that and treasure in heaven. And I want to remind you that this young man in this passage is actually a really good guy. He is, uh, you know, he comes to Jesus, like I said, very humbled. He calls him a good teacher, but he's fence sitting between these two kingdoms. He wants wealth now 
and he wants wealth later. He's got one leg in the kingdom of the world and one leg in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus has been saying throughout the gospel of Mark that the kingdom of God is, is coming in through Jesus. It is breaking into the world. And so he's asking this young man to realize that this time has changed. You can't be half in this present age and half in the kingdom of God. Either the time has changed or it hasn't. And so you need to choose which age are you a part of. And when I think of this idea of being half in and half out, I'm always reminded of a scene in the movie Schindler's List. Uh, if you're not familiar with this movie, it was an Oscar-winning film from Steven Spielberg in the 1990s. Um, and uh, this girl with the red jacket is, is a very memorable scene as well. But this, the film is about a change of age. It's based on a true story from Nazi Germany. So a time when uh, you know, Germany and, and the Jewish people were accepted within Germany and then at an age to where they were persecuted and, and the Nazis were in full rule. And it centers around a main character named Oskar Schindler, who is played by Liam Nielsen. And in the description of the movie, they call him an enigmatic character um, because he, he's got a mix of, of good and bad about him. Before the war, he was a rich German businessman and he owned a factory and he's a pretty vain guy. He wants nice things. He wants to use people to make more money. And at the same time, when the Nazis rise to power, he uses his factory to employ and save uh, over a thousand Jewish people from internment camps, which is a very noble thing. But at the end of the movie, there's this really moving scene when he's leaving his factory and all the people around him are all the people that he's helped are around him and he realizes that he's only been half in so we're going to take a few minutes and watch that now as soon as this occurs i want um i want that cloth distributed to the workers two and a half meters each also each person is to get a bottle of vodka they won't drink it they know it's value Likewise, those Egyptian cigarettes we organized. It'll be done, everything you ask. We have written a letter trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it.
So very, very moving film. Uh, and uh, I encourage you, if you want to, if you've never seen it, it's a great film to watch. Probably not great for children. Um, but uh, a very moving film and a very moving scene. And it's this moment where he puts on the ring that he realizes that the age has changed. That he was in the, even at the start of the clip, he's worrying about getting vodka uh, for, and cigarettes for his workers and giving it to them. Um, but as he puts on the ring, he sees that he's entered into a new age. It dawns on him that he could have done more, that he's held back. And he sees the value of all these other lives and just the value of one single person. That he valued stuff, things that only matter in the past age over things that matter in the new age. Jesus says something very similar in Matthew 6, 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And I think we may say that our beliefs are set to the kingdom of God. But so often we've got one foot and many dreams anchored to our treasure here. And Jesus, as he does everywhere else in the gospel of Mark, is asking us to reorient our vision of the good life. That not because what is here and now is evil, but because a new age has come with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And he's inviting us to let go to make room for the kingdom of heaven by pursuing the path of downward mobility. What about you? What about me? Where are we half in and half out in the kingdom of God? Finally, the reason uh, that uh, wealth, money, and possessions stop us from inheriting eternal life in this passage is that wealth chokes partially grown plants. Wealth chokes partially grown plants. For this, I'm going to go back to the parable of the soils. If you remember, there are six soils uh, in that passage, and, and three of them are fruitful and three of them are unfruitful. And one of the unfruitful soils is a choked out soil. Jesus says in Mark 4, others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, 
But the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And here's an observation I've made in, in my own life as I've got older and also walking alongside other people. I think when people first become Christians, big changes happen in their lives. You know, maybe they're stopping gambling large sums of money, or they stop swearing all the time, or they stop getting drunk or sleeping around, whatever it is, there's kind of some black and white changes that they kind of no need to happen. And then by God's grace, we get past that stage in our, in our lives. Sometimes it's due to discipleship, to, to repenting and following Jesus. And sometimes it's just due to age. We mellow out and we're not concerned with those things anymore. And to use Jesus' words, we, we, our plant has started to grow, like he says in the parable. But it's at this point that we can also hit a plateau in our discipleship. And this happens uh, for three reasons, that our plant stalls out. Number one is that we become acceptable in Christian culture. There's, you know, the trifecta. Are you married? Do you have kids? And you're not sinning in obvious ways. This is great. This is the, exactly who Christian culture is looking for. And so you, you can fit in and you can get by and be acceptable without having to change anymore. And you look around at the other people and you say, I'm not, I'm doing the same as everybody else. You know, we're all kind of just in the middle. There are probably some super saints in our community. There are some people who are not doing too well. I just kind of want to be in the middle. And so there's not pressure to change like there is when you first become a Christian. And secondly, the commands of Jesus become more familiar. As you become more familiar with the Bible and God's word, you, you, things aren't new to you anymore. For example, this passage, you've probably heard on it preached before. This is not news to you that Jesus confronts this rich young ruler. And so things become familiar. And then we take them more figuratively as well. We think, of course, Jesus is not asking me to sell everything. You know, I should probably maybe give a little extra benevolence this, this week. Um, but other than that, I'm sure he's not asking me to sell everything. And so it gets much harder to hear Jesus speaking directly to us as we do when we first become followers of Jesus. And then finally, the commands of Jesus that we hear when, we're, when our plant has grown to a certain height are usually not action-oriented, but heart-oriented. They're the kinds of questions like, are you a person of peace? Are you bearing the fruit of humility in your life? Where is your treasure? Is Jesus truly your Lord? And these are much more difficult things to diagnose than are you getting drunk on the weekend or are you sleeping around? So our discipleship tends to stagnate at that point in time and it becomes dangerous. And the good things in our lives can start taking up our time and our heart, like our career, our home, our investments, and our family if we have one. And these aren't bad things. They're good things. And we celebrate them in our community, and rightly so. But they can also be, as Jesus says in this passage, weeds that choke out our discipleship to him. And they, when we be, they become the center of our lives, when they root us into the kingdom of this age, rather than allow us to put our treasure in heaven, as Jesus has said, they divert our passion and they cause us to become unfruitful. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage to this rich young man. He's a good guy. He's respected within his community. He's materially blessed. He's grown up to a certain level of discipleship. But Jesus says, I want you to be more than just a good religious person. It's great that you're not doing bad things. I want you now to repent of the ways that you're using the good things in your life. The way that those things are rooting you in the kingdom of self rather than the kingdom of God. The way that specifically for him, money, possessions, and finances have eclipsed God. And the money and possessions have become their, his life and his hope and his savior. And Jesus' warning to this man is the same to us. Don't let the weeds choke you out. So he tells him, repent. 
gives him four commands, go, sell, come, and follow. It's the invitation to the kingdom of heaven to follow Jesus, to be fruitful. And the young man, the rich young man, declines. And here's the, the kicker. He, he probably went to synagogue the next Sabbath, and everyone thought he was just doing great. And this is the danger with what I'm going to call middle-aged discipleship. We get to a place with Jesus where we say, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, my finances are pretty good. And on one hand, that's great. You're not struggling with the things that you were struggling with five years ago. That's awesome. Praise God. That's called sanctification. But on the other hand, if we're not careful and intentional about listening to Jesus and choosing this path of downward mobility, weeds can so easily come in and suck the joy and the desire of loving God and being fruitful in his kingdom. At this stage of our discipleship, if that's you and that's me, then we must get really intentional about our weeding and allowing God to do the hard inner work of character change and not allowing ourselves to become okay with just being a slightly better version of ourselves, but rather allowing the Holy Spirit to come and make us more like Jesus, to unroot our feet from the kingdom of self and place them fully in the kingdom of God. Well, today's passage is, is a hard word in a series of hard statements that we've heard about discipleship with Jesus. You know, he said, leave your boats, follow me, and I will make you into fishers of people. He's warned that many won't welcome the seed of the good news. He's asked us to become like nobodies in becoming children. And it says that's essential for following him. And then today he's saying, don't let money keep you from following Jesus. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. And at this point, you might respond by saying, boy, discipleship and receiving the kingdom, inheriting eternal life is really, really hard. This is how it feels for the rich young man. It says he was grieved. He was grieved like he was losing something, like he was grieving someone who had died. And the disciples are also astonished. And it says they're even very astonished after Jesus repeats that the, the rich won't en enter the kingdom of heaven. And they say, who then can be saved? So discipleship is hard. But Jesus actually raises them one more. He says, following me is not hard. It's actually impossible. It says, looking at them, Jesus said, with man, it is impossible. So Jesus is straight up. Salvation is actually completely impossible with man. It's impossible for us to give up enough to receive eternal life. And there's nothing we can do to be a part of this new age, this breaking in kingdom. But Jesus continues. He says, but not with God. It's, with man, it's impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. And the invitation to this new thing that God is doing in the world can only come through Jesus. It's beyond our abilities, but Jesus will open the door through the giving of himself. He's the one who fully divests himself of all things. Remember, he follows this pattern. Although X, not Y, but Z. Although the son of God, not riches, but poor. And he became the perfect disciple who walks to the cross and gives his life, the most valuable thing for the ransom of many. He is the true rich young ruler who let go of all his possessions to free us from the dark powers and also the way that money has a hold of us to ransom us so that we can be free and so that we can inherit the kingdom of God. So Jesus has made a way for us. We've seen this already. We spent the majority of our time in the gospel of Mark looking at Jesus and what he's done through uh, his life, death, and resurrection. And for us to inherit and participate in the kingdom of God, selling the, sell, or something the selling of all of our possessions couldn't do. So we need to remember that and be grateful and thankful that through Jesus, the impossible is possible. We're able to join him in this new age. But let's also hear his hard, car, his hard call to follow. And let's continue to weed our lives 
so that we may be fruitful. Let's continue to unanchor our hearts from the world so that we can anchor our hope in the kingdom of heaven. And let's allow others into our lives so that we can move God's word from being general to specific, specifically preached into our lives. I'm going to close with a blessing for those of us who take, choose to take this path. Peter begins to tell him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Remember, they have taken, uh, they've, they've left their family, their boat, their inheritance, their money, their work, and followed Jesus. And Jesus says to them, truly, I tell you, there's no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or field for my sake, and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more, now at this time, houses, brothers, and sisters, mothers, and children, and fields with persecutions, and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and last first. Join me as we close in prayer. God, as I mentioned, this is a very uh, hard teaching, and so I pray that all of us will hear this couched in your um, sacrifice for us, that you came, you gave your life uh, for each one of us to ransom us from the dark powers and from all the things that keep us in this present age. And so I pray that we would give us a great desire for fruitfulness in our lives. I pray that we would be a community that allows each other in, in order to move your word from general to specific in our time and in our lives. We pray that you would take our feet and unroot them from other kingdoms and put them into yours. We ask for a vision of that, that would hold us fast, that we wouldn't stay to just being um, middle-aged Christian, but we would instead, we would come and we would continue to follow you with the passion that we've always had. So continue to make us into a people as we, as we come before you, we worship together um, with music. We ask that you would continue to form us more into the likeness of your son. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you.